This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Cardiology and Heart Surgery Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Erin Kinney, Executive Director of Herma Heart Institute at Children's Wisconsin. Erin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. It's so happy to be here. Before we dive into the questions, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your career journey? Yeah, of course. Uh, and thanks again for the opportunity to join you on the call today. Um, I guess my background's a little bit nonlinear, but uh, coming up, I went to UC Davis for my undergrad, and then I joined the military as a medical service corps officer uh, and a medevac pilot, uh, probably what most uh, political science undergrads do, right? Um, then after almost eight years, I decided I needed to figure out what I was going to do when I grew up. So naturally, I became a hospital administrator at at Children's Wisconsin in Milwaukee. Uh, I had the opportunity kind of along my leadership journey to support PEDS general surgery, uh, PEDS urology, PEDS cardiology, and, and PEDS CT surgery uh, until I ended up in my current role as executive director at Herma Heart. Um, I would say just a highlight for Herma, who, who doesn't know, it's the largest congenital cardiac program in the state with practice locations spanning from Kenosha up into Iron Mountain, Michigan. Um, and we don't only see kids. Uh, about a quarter of our volume is adults who, who were born with uh, congenital heart disease. That's really interesting. So, you know, from the time when you graduated with a political science degree to, you know, where you're at now, um, obviously there's been a lot of opportunities for you. You know, what really kind of got you interested into the healthcare space? Yeah, you know, it's funny, back when uh, the Army decided that I would be medical service, I remember thinking, like, what in the world are they thinking, making me, <laughs> making me a hospital administrator? And so that's actually why I applied for a separate program to, to do medevac. Um, but I really enjoyed the leadership side of it. I really enjoyed working with healthcare professionals and after a couple deployments uh, uh, with medevac, I had so many opportunities to work with, with care providers in, you know, from, from point of injury up to these very uh, acute and urgent care and operative areas. Uh, and, and as I got out, I realized the, the flying was fun at a time, but it started to be more like a bus driver. But I really loved kind of the leadership side and just the missions. You know, you walk into a hospital, especially a children's hospital, uh, it's so inspiring to be able to just play play a small role in, in impacting what's done there. Absolutely. I agree 100%. It sounds like, you know, just doing some fantastic work. So I'm excited to learn more about it. What are your top priorities today and how do you see them evolving in the next 12 months or so? Yeah, um, I, you know, I think... Uh, I think like many of the folks you've talked to, getting our patients back into clinic um, is going to be important, but also while taking advantage of some of the gains we've made in telehealth and virtual delivery over the last 18 months, um, we don't want to take a step back. Um, I think strategic partnerships to keep patient care our main focus, despite all the financial pressures and noise, uh, also will continue to be a focus. I think uh, there's a lot of examples to this, but I think a top of mind example would be like a uh, PEDS cardiac transplant in Wisconsin, right? Um, there might be 10 to 20 heart transplants in a year max uh, in, in Wisconsin. And, and currently we work very closely with the other children's hospital in the state in Madison 
to collaborate on these kids rather than than compete. Uh, you know, think of a year where there might only be 10 transplants in the state with two programs competing for, you know, four or five each. Then we'd end up with two mediocre programs, and that's just not good for kids or, or, or what we're doing. So instead, we are able to ensure we have an elite world-class program in the state with this, this partnership and, uh, by all means, compete in, in other areas. And I think the, the last uh, area to prioritize, and, and certainly something uh, that is well beyond just, just cardiology is, is finding time to innovate, right? With, with modern medicine, especially in cardiology, there, there's been so much progress in the last 50 years and the outcomes just continue to get better. But there's some big things on the horizon and some really monumental possibilities to, to completely change the care we're providing. But it's, it's going to take some big investments. And I think Listening to some of your podcasts, uh, it, it's not going to be necessarily news, but two of the obvious areas w- would be kind of in in how we manage data. Uh, you know, there's so much with so many national registries and, and so many resources to even participate in things like clinical trials, and then it takes years to do anything with it. We can, we can definitely do better. Um, and then some of the cool stuff going on with, with cord blood and stem cell research, I mean, we we know we can grow beating cells in the lab uh, made from patients' own DNA. So developing those programs to kind of aggressively, aggressively and affordably capture cord blood tissue at birth, it can catapult us into new realms of valves and patch material well beyond kind of the mechanical and tissue options available today for cardiac care. That's really exciting to hear. You know, I know there's so many different developments. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, when you look at what there is possible and then trying to figure out the financial side of things, what are some of the calculations that you go into um, to make sure that, you know, it's going to make sense on your end to invest in some of these new innovations? Yeah, no, we're, we're very fortunate, uh, you know, looking, looking back at our namesake, right, we're at Herma Heart Institute. Uh, the Herma family has been on a journey with, with our program for more than 30 years now. They lost their child uh, to congenital heart disease um, and have continued to push us. And, and one of their, even from my first day uh, as executive director, uh, really pushing us to say, what are you going to do to make sure that innovation is always available, even when kind of rainy days come? Um, and so really pushing some of those things like endowments and then protecting those funds uh, so that we, no matter what's going on with grant cycles and funding and things like that, we can continue to focus on things uh, uh, related to innovation and kind of pushing the envelope uh, on care delivery. So, I mean, in the past five years, we've grown our endowed funds by almost four times where they were uh, only five years ago. And, uh, you know, I think the communities. This success is not just ours, right? The community is invested in, in seeing this change, especially with congenital heart disease being the most common birth defect. Um, this is going to impact everybody. So I, I think um, we've made a commitment uh, years ago, I guess, to answer your question, to, to start to earmark funds for innovation so that we could afford it. And initially that was hard, but now that it's growing and, and grows on itself, um, we no longer worry about 
you know, a gap year in R01 funding or, or other research funds, we can continue to push forward. And actually, every year at our program, we award more than a million dollars in seed funding to uh, cardiac research done on campus. Um, and that's available to all faculty, not just those uh, within Herma Heart, but if they're touching something related to the cardiac system, uh, then, then we evaluate what they're pitching and, and see if there's a way that we can help stimulate that and get them some usable data, get them equipment they need, get them, you know, resource support so they can push that innovation forward. And, and we've seen uh, the whole spectrum of things from, from, you know, new inventions for actual physical clinical devices uh, to classic historical clinical trials and, and just getting some basic data. So, so we run the whole, the whole gamut. That's really great to hear. And, you know, so important to have um, people that are supporting you throughout the community, as well as, uh, you know, the namesake of the hospital now, or the Institute, excuse me. Now, I know this past year has been really a difficult time during the pandemic for many reasons. What do you see as the biggest challenges that you're facing today? Yeah, I think uh, uh, a kind of funny but but real issue facing uh, us today is probably a 12-month recall, right? When you look at some of the standard practice guidelines and protocols we see in cardiology, a lot of patients get followed up every year. Um, so coming on, you know, the, the year after the, the heaviest impact of the, the, the pandemic, um, a lot of people's annual follow-up is no longer in the spring, right? If they deferred anything, uh, so we're seeing some big swings in volume compared to some of the historical trends, um, which just keeps things complicated when you're running a, a large institute or, or organization, uh, it'll smooth out over time for sure, but it, it's just a funny quirk of how we schedule and how insurance companies work and all that, that we're going to have this, this big boom as we hit summer and fall when, when people really start to feel more comfortable. Um, but I think, I think probably a, a larger challenge, and, and it, it, I don't think it's necessarily unique to, to academic medicine or, or pediatric care, is, is the data, right? I mean, We've, we've found a way to flatten our data from multiple sources and, and map it to one usable, nearly instant clinical decision-making tool. And it's just changing how we practice cardiology in our institute. Um, but I think a lot of programs, we're still spending unusually high amounts of resources to contribute data to legacy systems and registries like STS and and uh, all the v various different registries that are also part of our public reporting, PC4, uh, Action Network Impact, all these things, they're, they're important for quality, um, but we spend a lot of resources to give data to larger collaboratives, um, and then it still kind of moves slow, but we can, we can get things a lot closer to instant, and uh, so we're, we're really trying to rally behind some of those groups like Cardiac Networks United and Data Verto, who are trying to bring data collection and use to the forefront and make it simpler and more direct. That's really interesting to hear, um, you know, in trying to troubleshoot some of those uh, challenges that, you know, are maybe um, not 
as much expected or talked about throughout the pandemic, but really, you know, continuing to have the resources available, contributing data, and then being able to um, get the schedule in place for, for follow-up visits, obviously, is really important. How are you thinking mm-hmm. about department growth going forward? Yeah, I think I think we we've talked about it a lot. You know, I think we have to think differently for sure. We're we're seeing good opportunity to recover our in-person volumes for care that's needed at our medical facilities and our out, outreach locations. But the gains made in the last 18 months, we we want to sustain those as well and it, it changes our whole care model. So keeping keeping telemedicine viable and funded is is key and and really changes that resource equation. Um, we've seen a, a huge interest in our second opinion program, for example. Um, and so now we're working to collaborate with primary care providers to see if we can't figure out a sort of primary opinion program, give, give patients a quick digital way. If they're not sure they need to see a cardiologist or go through that whole kind of decision tree, uh, find a way to almost instantly give them, if they have a concern for some high-level stuff, have an actual cardiologist let them know if they should go get that echo or come in. Um, just continue to find ways uh, to to innovate, especially given everybody's experiences with healthcare the past 18 months. Um, there's a much higher expectation to avoid unnecessary visits that, that used to be taken, you know, as, as the standard. Now there's a lot of insistence to, to find ways to make it as easy as possible and only come in when they need to. So that, that impacts our bottom line and it impacts the care we're providing. So we're trying to figure out ways to reach upstream to still make sure the sickest of the sick aren't, aren't uh, making decisions uh, without the support of our team. Got it. That, that makes a lot of sense. And when you think about applying that, you know, type of mentality, are there any roles or skills that you need more of in order to really do that effectively? I think so. I mean, I think, uh, you know, first of all, you need you need those government relations teams, right? They're doing such incredible work uh, to make sure that some of the rules we play by uh, can that changed during the pandemic can stick around for the foreseeable future. Um, a lot of the telehealth and virtual health options uh, that we use now, um, a year ago, we couldn't get paid for, right, or, or just before the pandemic. So um, I think you also have a significant uh, uh, need for those uh, analytical type positions that help, uh, with, you know, connect patients with our electronic health records. So people from the app developers to our uh, Epic or data analysts, if you use another uh, uh, health record, um, all the way to, you know, people savvy with the systems. You know, some of the providers may or may not be uh, savvy with them, but everybody's going to want to see their doctors regardless of that comfort. So I think all the way from kind of user to the provider and everybody in between are going to be key if we're, we're going to sustain some of those gains uh, and kind of transform how we, how we view medicine. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I have one more question before we let you go today. Can you share three pieces of advice for emerging leaders? Sure. Uh, you know, and, and last time I had the chance to talk to Beckers, I, I, ma- I made a bit of a joke about fake meeting Friday, but <laughs> I, I would say that 
still my first piece of advice for leaders, especially emerging leaders, is protect their time as a valuable resource because it's it's not endless. Um, the the you know at, at least six to ten hours a week, uh, leaders need to protect some of that time to get actual work done to lead, engage their team and, and providers and and all their stakeholders. Um, the second thing I would say is probably to network, right? Cardiology in the grand scheme of things is a pretty small community and we often find ourselves inventing things as if nobody else has faced similar challenges. We're really fortunate compared to some other specialties. We have groups like ACC, but more specifically, they have subgroups like Medaxium, uh, which give cardiology administrators and providers a place to all kind of network, share best practices, and I think establishing these these colleagues nationally provides uh, centers and programs, you know, a mentorship council, unlike any other you're going to get at your own facility as, as they're doing your exact role elsewhere. Um, and then the last one for, for emerging leaders would be to talk to your providers. They're, they're not widgets. They're not RVU generators. They're, they're people uh, and, and they've worked hard uh, to, to build an expertise in this field. So I, I, so often you see new leaders intimidated by providers or default to viewing them as a, as a resource to optimize their schedule rather than engaging them as a, as a source of knowledge, passion, and mentorship. Aaron, that is a really great point. I, I love all three things you mentioned there between protecting your time, being able to network, and then, you know, really um, developing a relationship with the providers and sharing that passion for patient care, obviously, is a key to a great organization. Aaron, thanks again for being on the podcast today. This has been a really great discussion, and I look forward to connecting with you again soon. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks again.